0: Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at amazon.com. Road, ...trying to piece together the broken fragments they held... ...concerning the days in which they found themselves. As worshipers of God, they had been confident... ...they knew where this story was leaded up till now. But all of that changed last Friday. As they walked down the road, they talked about the prophet... ...named Jesus, who had appeared in their midst... ...and for the last three years... It altered reality as they knew it. They talked about how they'd seen him heal the sick and cleanse lepers and raise the dead and forgive sins and how when he spoke, the kingdom of God felt accessible as if it were actually here. Talked about how they felt seen by him, somehow known by him, how they felt loved by him and how they hoped he was the one that was going to restore everything. That Friday, they saw Jesus brutally executed. They watched as his lifeless body was carried into a tomb, and they sighed with resignation as a giant stone hid him and hope from their sight. And now as they found themselves on the road, they found that their dreams were dissipating just as quick as the dust under their feet. Two men walked along the road trying to piece together the broken fragments of the story they were in... ...and they would have remained stuck there had a third man not joined them on the road. See, I love the story in Luke chapter 24 of Jesus appearing incognito to walk with his confused kids on a road to Emmaus. It's a a brilliant picture of what God does with us today. The holy God continually choosing incarnation to be with us so that he'd open our eyes to the glorious plan he has for us on the road we presently travel. I want to tell you this morning, Easter Sunday, I've got some good news. Is anybody in the mood for good news this Easter Sunday? I want to tell you this. If you could see your current road from Jesus' eyes, you'd be filled with delight and not despair. Now, somebody, is that good news this morning? If you could see your current road from Jesus' eyes, you'd be filled with delight this morning and not despair. Why? Because he's alive. This is real, y'all. This is actually happening. This is the story we find ourselves in. Love wins. Mercy wins. Redemption wins. Forgiveness wins. And today, right now, our light and momentary afflictions are purchasing for us a glory that far outweighs it all. And so Jesus stood with two men on the road to Emmaus, and it says in Luke chapter 24 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. In John chapter 5, he told the religious leaders that if they believed in Moses, they would believe in him because Moses wrote about him. He said, it's all always been about me. The whole story's about me. And sure enough, we find that God chose in the pages of the Old Testament ...to progressively reveal his nature to his children... ...but he often did so in veils and shadows. But in the fullness of time... ...in the fullness of time... ...God came down and tabernacled with us... ...in flesh unveiling who the Father had always been. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 1. It says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors... ...through the prophets at many times... ...and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory... ...and the exact representation of his being. What's it saying? It's saying that in the past... ...God revealed aspects of of himself, of his heart... ...through people. He revealed aspects of his heart through judges... ...and kings... ...through prophets and priests... ...through kids foreigners. It's saying that in the past, God revealed parts of who he is through creation. Through a burning bush and a giant fish. Even through a talking donkey. I think God's still doing that one today. Revealing who he is through some talking donkeys sometimes. I hope in the next few minutes to not be one of those. But each of these were nothing more than a veil. It was a shadow, a partial image we got of the Father through which we had to try to put the rest of the pieces together. And as history has shown, what we've done in the name of religion, trying to construct the full image of the Father, has often been devastating. But now in these days, somebody say these days. In these days that we get to live in, God has spoken in the language of a son. A son who is the radiance of the Father's glory. What does that mean? That the author of Hebrews is talking about that the Son is the radiance of the Father's glory. It's this, that Jesus is the floodlight that shows every precise detail of who our Father is without distortion or embellishment. We've got this thing we do on social media today where we like to take... Pictures and selfies of ourselves and put on it hashtag no filter. And we've got to make sure everybody knows that that selfie is hashtag no filter because it means that we didn't do that thing, the filter we put on our skin that makes us look 15 years younger, right? Or darkens our skin several shades. Like some of you are like, you are as white as they come and you look Puerto Rican in this thing, right, that you're trying to put out right now. We say hashtag no filter to say, listen, what you're getting right now isn't a glamour shot. It isn't dressed up. It isn't me at my best moment. It's just me. Somebody hear me this morning. Jesus Christ is the Father. Hashtag no filter. If you want to know who your father has always been, all you need to do is take one glimpse into the eyes of Jesus. One glimpse into the eyes of Jesus is a lifetime worth of revelation of who our father has always been. And that matters. Because I'm convinced that the number one problem we're facing today isn't about whether we're Republican or Democrat. It's not about something with our finances or our health care. I'm convinced that the number one problem is the orphan spirit that has invaded creation. We've got a planet full of people that are reeling because they don't know the safety and security and delight of their father. But Jesus has stepped onto their road and onto your road to turn on the lights. And I want you to know something this morning, no matter how you've come in, he's gonna be seen as good and he won't stop until you know you're loved. He's gonna be seen as good and he won't stop until you know you're loved. So somebody take heart this morning. If it's not yet good, it's not yet over. And if you don't yet know you're adored, Take heart, his goodness and his mercy are pursuing you, following you all the days of your life, and he's a better runner than you. He's going to catch you. You're going to know that he's good, and you are going to know that you are loved, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's why I'm excited to kick off a brand new message series this morning. That's all about changing the viewpoint about the story that we're in choosing to see God and ourselves and our circumstances and others through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of unveiled love. Now, when Jesus started in Luke chapter 24, he said that he started by going to the story of Moses. So I don't know a better place for us to start this Easter Sunday than to go to the days of Moses. We join Moses as he's just spent 40 incredible days ...on Mount Sinai, meeting with God. He's heard the God of creation speak to him. It's better than that. God has given a law that he wrote with his own finger in a tablet... ...and handed it to him. A law that God says if the people would only follow... ...that they will dwell in his house forever... ...and everything will be great. Moses is delighted. He's filled with hope. He's killing it with his life plan, y'all. And in this moment... Moses is in a dangerous place because he's naive enough to actually think his plan is going to work. Anybody ever been there before? And it says that Moses goes down to the people and it's not very long before delight turns to despair. Because Moses goes down and the people are throwing a rager. He goes, there's music, there's food, there's dancing. They've melted their jewelry and they made a gold statue of a cow that they're worshiping and calling it the God that led us out of Egypt. Now listen, I don't know how many drinks you've got to have (laughs) before you confuse the Lord of all creation with a cow figurine, but there are a few past that. And Moses is appalled. He's furious, and he's completely because all he's done to arrive in this place is tried, the best of his, tried to the best of his ability to obey his God. His great plans of a great life have hit a massive detour and he finds himself confused and absolutely deflated. Has anybody ever been there? And so Moses goes, and I love this conversation in Exodus 33 that he has with the Lord of creation... It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, I think that's how he said it too. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, oh no, Moses just thereforeed God. That's bad. Now he's commanding God, saying, you said this, and it's not working out, and you said this, and you haven't answered that. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please now show me your ways that I may know you. And if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I do know you by name. And Moses said, then please show me your glory. I love this exchange because it is so real. He shows up before God and he says this. He says, God, I am trying here. I'm trying to obey your promises. And I got to tell you, your promises, they sure sound sweet. They'd be real nice knit on a pillow, but they're not working out in my real life right now. And then he goes into a bit of a moment where he's like, Well, lead the people, he says. I know your name, he says. I found favor in God's sight, he says. But I think, God, you've left out a few pages of your master plan because it's not working out. You know that God delights in that kind of honesty? He says this. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to cast, to literally throw your cares upon me. As messy as they are, as unclean, don't clean yourself up. Don't figure it out. Stop trying to be your own savior. I want you to cast your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. So Moses casts his cares. And then he says this. He says, God, here's the heart of all of it. I've just got to know you. And whatever is coming ahead on this road, if you're not going, I won't go. Man, that's a good prayer for our life, isn't it? To say, God, I'm seeking your presence, not your presence. God, I'm seeking your presence of who you are, not some present or some gift or some ability or some blessing you can give me. And then Moses goes from there into what I would say is the best prayer. He says, God, would you show me your glory? I've got to know, Easter 2022, is there anybody that's praying that this morning? God, would you show me your glory? God, I've got to know you. God answers immediately. After Moses just had a rant, you guys see this, right? He just thereforeed God, and he ended it with, he flipped it to show me your glory, and God's like, done. That's pretty beautiful for the rants that I get before the Lord. So God says this. He said, I'm going to pass by, and I'll give you a glimpse of my back, but not my face. And guys, what Moses saw made him illuminate like a human light bright for weeks to come. As God was passing by, he spoke a declaration that would become the calling card of who our God is, repeated in some form 185 times in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, as God is passing by, this is what he says. He said, the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord... ...the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness... ...maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now if, as Jesus has said, the whole story is about him... If the truth is Jesus is the Father, hashtag no filter, then when we step back into this story, there are five convictions we need to see about our Father that will greatly change the road on which we presently travel. I want to give you five convictions today to change your story from despair to delight. The first is this, that it is safe to grow up in your spiritual house. It's safe to grow up in your spiritual house. You ask many people on the street today. In fact, we could go and ask around this room today. What was the first view that you got of God? And the answer that you'll hear from many is my first view was fear or shame or doubt, that I had to perform well. Be on my best behavior. Not say that thing in front of the preacher. Don't let them see that there are problems in our life. Now that I am the preacher, there are times I walk in rooms and people just get weird, y'all. They just get to the point where they'll say something and they're like, you know, my week's just going like crap. (gasps) Sorry, preacher. I was like, it's okay. Jesus made that word. It's all right. I say it too. Maybe my week's been going like crap too. Can we just talk like human beings? I'm not in an ivory tower. But we get this view of God. It says we've got to be on our best behavior, that we've got to run from him and hide. For many of us, we had a view of pulpits being pounded, threatening hell, or maybe growing up the attitude of a holy or respected leader in our life talking about those immoral people, and suddenly we shut down because when we looked in the mirror, we were pretty sure that that immoral person was here. We've heard about the thousands of pastor's kids, PKs, ...that have run from the church as soon as they got the chance... ...because growing up there was like a glass house. It wasn't safe to be human. Until Jesus came to town and turned on the lights... ...about who the Father has always been. As God talks about who he is, his Father... ...the very first word he uses is this... ...that your God is compassionate. In Hebrew, that word means this. It means to be soft. Acting in the tenderest affection... Now, guys in the room, I want you to agree with me for just a minute. Can we agree that it is an absolute affront if somebody walks up to you and says, you know the number one word I'd use to describe you? You're soft. That would be a problem, right? Like, don't call me soft. You know, Pastor Chuck is just really great. I love coming to the church. Because you know how I would describe Pastor Chuck? He's, he's soft. That's not the way we want to be defined. Guys are going to be like, don't tell me. I'm soft. But you know what? Look at the toughest dad in the world. The moment he first holds his baby, he's a puddle. He's a teddy bear. He's strong to the world, but he's soft to his kid. And I love this watching dads because dads, we will make ourselves look absolutely ridiculous for the favor of our children, won't we? We'll dress up and go to tea parties. We'll wear costumes. Kids will be putting makeup on us. We will make the most ridiculous faces you can imagine. We'll dance, though we have no rhythm. Why? Because for a dad, we will do absolutely anything we can... ...to knock down the emotional wall of our kid to say... ...hey, precious one, all of my heart is yours. And God starts the first definition... ...the first definition he wants to give us about who he is... ...his father, as he says, I'm that kind of dad. When we read about Jesus, the fullness of the father... ...it says that kids always ran to Jesus... And when they did, he gloried in them. I think about my time literally being able to travel the world, not only going on missions, but as a foster dad and a father. And I find that I just can't help myself but to delight in somebody. That picture right there, you need to know something right now, no matter how old you are. That is your father's default position for you right now. He's that kind of dad. That's how he sees you in all of your mess. He's not done there, though. He goes further. He said, it's not enough just for you to know your father's compassionate. He's gracious. He's gentle, kind, and benevolent. Right now, your father is stooping to your level to extend mercy and favor. It's the same image we get in the Bible of what it means to bless. We had the joy of bringing three churches and hundreds of people together on our field. Uh, Abide, the resting place, and Overflow came together to worship on Good Friday right outside here... And I had the opportunity to share that God coming low was not something he just did for Good Friday. It's his trademark move to come low and to bless us. He says that the greatest among you will be your servant and the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends. Jesus, speaking of the father, points to a father of a prodigal son who opens his arms and says in all of his son's mess, all I have is yours. And so I want you to know today, no matter what you've been taught, if what you are attributing to the voice of God sounds distant or demanding or demeaning, it's not your father. It's an imposter. Throw it out. Because your father is gracious. But he can't even stop there. Talking about it being safe to grow up in your home, it's not just that he's tender and soft. It's not just that he's gracious. Listen, it's that he's slow to anger. That word in Hebrew means to delay to wait, to defer, to extend a long road before any response remotely resembling anger. And this is what's amazing to me. Because when you ask most people what their default view of the God of the Old Testament is, the immediate word you hear is angry. But God, as soon as he could define himself, says this, I am a long road of patience. I want you to think for a minute about the most patient person you've ever met. Now, for me, I think about Mr. Rogers when I get that picture, right? Most patient ever. And I want to tell you that God is infinitely more so than the most patient person you've ever seen because he's the source. See, love is patient and God is love. Come on, somebody, that's good. Love is patient and God is love, what does that mean? It means that today God's not just going to be patient with you. No, he's patience itself. He can't be anything else than a long road in the midst of your mistakes and your failures. You think of a picture of who God as Father is. You see, Jesus, as he's caught with a woman, in the moment that she's been discovered in the act of adultery, her public struggle has become her greatest, her private struggle has become her greatest public shame. And now she finds herself naked and thrown down onto the dirt in front of them as they point their fingers. And these are people that would have been in the city with her. These are people that would have gone in the marketplace. These were people that yesterday she had good standing and good reputation. But today they've thrown her naked in the dirt pointing a finger saying, God demands she die. What do you say, son of man? And what I find amazing about this picture is this woman down in the dirt and they look to Jesus and it says this. But Jesus bent down into the dirt in which she sat. He joined her in her position. And without paying attention to them, began to write a message which I am convinced was a message of love to her. By the way, you say, why do you believe that? Because only he and her were on this level. Whatever he was writing was for her eyes to see. He wasn't giving a rip about the religious leaders in this moment. And then after it's all said and done, Jesus stands to his feet when they demand an answer. He says, only the one without sin can cast the first stone. And so, of course, the oldest to the youngest, they all leave. But the one without sin was present. He was standing there. His name was Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Father. The Father, hashtag, no filter. And what did he say? He said, all the people that came to condemn you, where'd they go? She said, they're gone. He said, I refuse to condemn you either, but here's what I want you to know. You can leave your past of promiscuity for a new portion of purity. You're free to leave that life of sin. Now go. See, that's who our Father is. He's a long road of mercy, which means this, that it's safe to grow up in your house. It's safe to grow up as you. You can learn to crawl and walk and stumble with no fear of your own shadow. And by the way, if you're thinking, well, yeah, when I was a baby Christian, I learned how to crawl and walk and stumble, but now I've really arrived. I think we know this, anybody who's walked with Jesus long enough, as soon as you think you've learned how to walk, he transports you to a new room where all the rules have changed, doesn't he? And now all of a sudden you're, you're stumbling and you're crawling because now love is demanding something greater of you, a greater sacrifice, a greater way that you don't yet know how to walk. Why? Because he wants you to take his hand, he wants to dance with you. He wants you to stop being afraid of your own failures and your own shortcomings. The first truth this Easter for us, if we could see Jesus on our road is this, it's safe to grow up in your spiritual house. The second is this, that you are wanted and adored. That you are wanted and adored. Now, I want to tell you everything I'm going to preach this morning, I think those five words could do more to change the church of Jesus Christ than anything else on the planet. Because the last I checked, our problem is not that we're too joyful and we know that we're too loved. That you're wanted and adored. And the word that he gives here, this word in Hebrew, I'm going to teach you Hebrew this morning. You ready? Don't look at your neighbor when you say this or you're going to spit all over them. Say the word, say, chesed. Chesed. Some of you turned intentionally, John, to your daughter as soon as you did that. God has a long road of patience toward you, John. The word chesed is God's favorite word to define himself. He uses it a whopping 244 times in the Old Testament. And this is what it means. If God has a favorite word he wants to define about how he feels about you, do you want to know it? If God has a word that he says more than anything else that he can't shut up about, Christina, every time he has to talk about you, he has to use this word. Do you want to know what that is? I'm so glad you do because I'm going to share it with everybody right now. In English, we've said it's abounding in love. It's the best we can do. And here's what it means. It means a deep passion and burning desire to express goodness, kindness, mercy, beauty, favor, gentleness, and love to the object of one's affection, coupled with sorrow and compassion for any place they face misfortune. What the heck, y'all? That's good! I don't know about you, but if a promise can be made that whether you're having a good day or a bad day, there's a default position of your father, and it's this, right now on the road that you're on, how does your father feel about you? How he feels is this, right now, he has a deep passion for you. Right now he has a burning desire to express what? His goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his beauty, his favor, his gentleness. Why? Because you are the object of his affection. And that any place you can find yourself, that you're facing trial or heartbreak or misfortune, he's not standing up in an ivory tower, but he's come down to your level to join with you because in that place he wants to bless you. And that is the most often definition, the most oft-given definition of God in the entire story. When I think about what it means to be abounding in love, I can't think of anything other than my daughter, Annabelle. Now, I have five biological children, because the first command in the Bible was be fruitful and multiply, and I just started at the beginning, y'all. So, I got five kids, one daughter, she's my youngest. Annabelle is 10 going on 30. And Anna is in many ways the strongest-willed child I have ever had the privilege and the opportunity to raise. She's definitely the most creative and energetic in her desires to experience absolutely everything life has to offer, absolutely every moment of the day, even if her father's tired on a Saturday. She wants to move, and she wants to go, and she's always up for an adventure, whether it's fishing or hiking or any type of sport or game we can make up that she can beat all of us in. She is as tough as they come. She can cop a stronger toad with her mom than the best of them. And for the life of her, this girl cannot keep her room clean. (laughs) But all that said, can I just tell you this? My Annabelle simply melts my heart. I'm abounding in loving kindness for her. Good days and bad days, she's my girl. And I just can't see her through any other lens. See, your father's like that. I don't know if you were planned in the here and now, but I know this. From eternity past, you've always been wanted, and you've always been adored by your father. The third truth for us that moves us from despair to delight is this, that you cannot be forgotten or overlooked. The list continues, and this is one of those All right, language nerds for just a minute. Sometimes we miss what's going on in the language because it says that he's abounding in love and faithfulness. What you need to know about the way language works is it means he's abounding in love, plus he's abounding in faithfulness. Sometimes faithfulness gets the short end of the stick there. We just move on and go, oh, yeah, and this faithfulness thing. But he's abounding in this thing called faithfulness for you. What does it mean? It means that he's reliable, and he's able to be counted on to nourish, support, and uphold you. The Bible says that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. Our Heavenly Father never fails. Now, sometimes our earthly fathers do, and i got to tell on myself for just a minute. So a few years ago, I was at a meeting at Pastor Ruth and Brandon's house. And the thing about me, so when I'm going, I took my son Andrew with me. Andrew is Annabelle's twin brother. So he came with me. Andrew's super quiet, just kind of keeps to himself. Super respectful, does his thing. He came in, and it's the middle of a work day. I don't normally bring a kid with me. And if you've ever sat with me in a meeting, you know this to be true. The minute it's you and me in the room, I can't see anything else. I just want to hear God's heart for you, and I want to hear your heart to God. The building could be burning down, and I don't know it. So I'm at this meeting just focused on what God wants to do. And God shows up, and it's great, and it's wonderful. And I hug Pastor Ruth, and I'm like, praise the Lord. And I walk out the door. Leaving my son Andrew in the bathroom at Pastor Ruth's house. Now, listen, I was only three minutes down the road before I turned around on my own and I got him. But did you know that at every social function we've been to since, Andrew walks up to me at some point, including yesterday, okay, when I already knew I was going to be preaching this, walks up to me at some point and says, Dad, is it okay if I go to the bathroom now? (laughs) And he's not even being sarcastic. So I can't get angry. It just breaks my heart again. I'm like, I'm a failure. (laughs) I just, I'm terrible. But can I tell you something? I'm convinced that that's how some of us live every day with our God. That we believe everybody else can have a seat at the table, but we don't deserve one yet that we could see God's promises and his blessing and his forgiveness in every other direction, but we have a really hard time preaching it to the person we look at in the mirror. That we think that he's going to leave us. But did you know that that God has this word for you in the Bible? His word of how he defines you is the word beloved. God says, you're my beloved. Somebody say beloved. beloved. I love the word beloved because it means this. It means you're my favorite. Did you know that's what God says in the Bible? He says to you, you're my favorite. They tell parents don't have favorite kids. Did you know God only has favorites? He only plays favorites. What does that mean? It means at this moment and every moment you will ever live, you are constantly experiencing the maximum amount of favor he can possibly give you. He as a dad has chosen to make himself look ridiculous. To run on your level and say, everything that I have is yours. You're my favorite. I can't forget you. I can't overlook you. He has to come through. But you know, just because that's true doesn't mean we always feel like he comes through, does it? Or that we always understand what he's doing in the middle of our journey. I can remember recently there was a worship song that we were singing that Valley's End was leading. And there was my part of the song where I was supposed to sing this refrain, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let me down. And I told Chris and Ruth, I was like, I can't sing it. I can't sing that. I said, why? And I went in prayer to God and I said, because... God, you have let me down. Lots of times. There's lots of times I've come and prayed and I've asked you to move. God, you've let me down. And that voice that I've come to know as the father leaned in immediately and strongly. And he said this. He said, no, son. From your limited view and your temporal moment, it might seem like I've let you down. But what I'm giving you is not something about your feelings. It's a fact about who I am as your father. I am incapable of letting you down. Your perspective might have let you down. Your experience might have let you down. The fact that you can't see where I'm at on the road right now, that might be letting you down, but I cannot leave you and I refuse to fail you because you're my favorite. I'm too good and you're too precious. Somebody needs to rest in that this morning because you're anxious and you're restless and you're always going. And it's not like anything's going bad, but even when it's going good, somewhere quietly you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for something else to happen because you believe everybody else can have a seat at the table, but you're not sure you can. You cannot be forgotten and you cannot be overlooked. The fourth truth that would change our perspective today is this, that your father is fiercely fighting for you. He goes on in this list. He says that what our God and our Father does is he maintains his steadfast love to thousands. Now, once again, he's used that word hesed, that he delights in you, that he adores you, but now he's added another verb, and he says what he does with that delight isn't passive. What he's doing right now is he's maintaining it. In this word in Hebrew, it means to guard as a watchman, protecting from any predator or danger or threat. What's it saying? He's saying this to you as his child. He's soft and gentle and patient to you, but to the enemies that threaten you, the enemies that threaten his promises in your life, he's fierce and alert and a strong tower. Jesus is not only the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, he says, I'm also the gate protecting you, that nothing can get to you without having to go through me and newsflash. I've already taken all of your enemies and disarmed them, made a public spectacle of them, ran them up the flagpole by their underwear because nobody puts baby in the corner. That's what the Father is saying. I see you. I have you. He's a fierce defender, and I think it is so important for us today to not confuse God's meekness for weakness. Your father is soft and gentle to you, but you need to understand right now, he is a consuming fire. You and I can rest in his pasture because he never slumbers and he never sleeps. There's this Bible verse that says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard against him. Has anybody ever heard that one? You know they put the comma in the wrong place, y'all. Here's what it actually says. It says, when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, God will release his standard. The enemy is the trickle. Your father is the flood. The first time your enemy comes against you with this little trickle, trickle, trickle. He says, take that thought captive. That's not true. That's not who I am. And what you need to know is in this moment, in all of your mess, and all of your weakness, no matter how you did yesterday, I'm going to come in like a flood. Because listen, his goodness isn't based on how good I am. It's based on the greatness of the I am. And he's good to you. And he's great to you. Because that's who he is. And right now, what you need to know, somebody needs to change your, your, we got this Christian thing we say. This isn't even my message, but I just got to share this. We got this thing that we say as Christians where we go, well, I'm just a target for the enemy. I'm just a target for the enemy. And then this is this thing that we do. Whenever things start going well, we're like, it's Easter week. I knew hell was going to break loose because the enemy doesn't like this. Stop giving the enemy that credit. He's disarmed. He's been made a spectacle of. That's not the story you're in ever again. He can't beat on you, he can't hit you, he can't come against you, because he's gotta go through your father to get to you. You're not a target, why? Because we're not on defense, we're on offense. The church is advancing against the gates of hell. The last time I saw, gates weren't these threatening things that come against and are making my weak hard. Gates just stay where they're at until you move them. And he said what's supposed to be happening today is the church is moving back the gates of hell and taking the territory that belongs to God. I'm fired up, I'm sorry, I'm gonna sit back down, y'all. My step counter got an extra 120 steps today, okay. Final thing I wanna share this morning is this, and then we're gonna pray and activate it. A view that would change us on our road today from despair to delight is that you can't run too far or mess up too badly for your father's favor. You can't run too far or mess up too badly for your father's favor. He says this, that he's the father who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, some of us, when we read that in English, we go, those are three synonyms. No, they're not. Those aren't all the same thing. They all mean something different. And I love when you get into Hebrew what he actually says he does with our wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's this. It's to bear upon oneself the implications of your offense and carry it away. What do I do with your every wrongdoing? I put it on myself and I carry it away. And you go, well, wait, 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 wait. but what about, I mean, I know that for my neighbor, I know that for that person, but you don't understand what I've done. Yeah, listen, he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let me just break those down for just a minute. Wickedness means the perversity, depravity, iniquity, guilt, and consequences that accompany your sin. What does that mean? It means you and your absolutely worst moment. What does he forgive? Your absolute worst moment when you stood in a vilified way against creation and humanity, that thing you're embarrassed about that you don't want anybody to know, that thing that is your shame. He goes further, he forgives rebellion. That means revolt, every violation of every boundary and the punishment for it. That means that place where you did that thing and it wasn't with malice, but you knew better, you knew that God set up a boundary, you knew he said don't go there, and in the moment you thought you knew better and then it bit you, he said yeah, I came to forgive that. And the third one he said was sin. Sin. ...is to miss the target, often unintentionally, and forfeit the prize and inheritance that was supposed to be ours. What is he saying the Father came to do? He said the Father came that at every level of human injustice, depravity, and fallenness... ...from the unintentional to the unspeakable, that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That Jesus unveils that before you were ever created... The Father already stood in your place to forgive absolutely everything that you could ever encounter for anyone who would just come home. And in this definition, in Exodus 34, there are seven words that are used to define the Father. Did you know of those seven words, five of them, if we had to get just one word in English, five of them all mean mercy. He's a long road of patience. And I want to tell you, somebody this morning... You've learned wrong. You were taught wrong who the Father is. He's not angry and judgmental and waiting in wrath. No, his name is Mercy. Mercy is a person, and it looks just like the God revealed in Jesus. And so that led Paul, looking from where Moses was on Sinai to the moment where you and I presently stand, in 2 Corinthians 3, to say these words. He said, since then, we have such a hope We are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. What's the point of all of it this Easter? It's this. It is possible for you and I to be moral and to go to church and to read our Bible and to mind our manners and to help old ladies across the street and to love God and to try to be a really good person but still live as if God is behind a veil. Maybe this morning you're on a road that looks like disillusioned and broken dreams. That you're looking and you knew what it was like to have the life plan that you thought would be killing it and it is not working out the way you thought it had come and you're misinterpreting who your God is and where you're at on the journey. Maybe right now you're on a road and if you were being honest this morning, you'd say, this road is anxiety and fear that keeps me up because my greatest fear is this. It's not what you think about me. It's the fear that as a husband, as a dad, as a child of God, at my job, that I'm going to fail. It's a fear that maybe behind the veneer I'm not as strong as I put on. Maybe right now you're in a story that you don't use these words, but you find that every day you're exhausting yourself. You're over-leveraging your schedule and your energy because what you keep trying to do is climb some ladder with some group of people so that you can be seen and finally worthy and valued because you believe once you have their approval, you can finally get your own and perhaps God's. Maybe right now you're running like the men on the road to Emmaus and you're lamenting this Easter for everything you hoped would be different. But what I want to remind us in these closing moments is this. There's a third man with you on the road and he's the fullness of the one the Father has always been. And to you, this is what your Father says today. Matthew chapter 11. He says, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Come to me. I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, I'm humble. I'm easy to please, you'll find refreshment and rest in me for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Our father is gentle and gracious and patient. He sees us and right now he fights for us. Right now whether you know it or not, he delights in you, he won't leave you, he doesn't know how to fail you and he's already forgiven you for the stuff that you curse yourself for so that you could just let it go. He's better than we dared to imagine. And he's come to change the perspective of the story that we think we're in. The only question left this Easter is will we let him? Would you stand with me? And I just wanna ask as you stand, if you would close your eyes for just a moment, I'm gonna ask if you would just put a hand over your heart. As we wanna move from a place where we get information to a place of activation. And the question I want to ask right now is, where do you need a new lens for the story you're in? Perhaps somebody this morning, you find what you wrestle with more than anything else is you're wrestling with shame. You're wrestling with shame. You're quietly condemning yourself for your sin or for your shortcoming or for your failure. But you're saying, if I'm being honest this morning, if I actually knew that I was wanted adored and seen in all my mess. I want that. What I'm going to ask with every eye closed, one hand on your heart, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out, but you're saying, I want to know that I'm wanted and adored. I'm just going to ask that you'd lift one hand up in the air. And I'm asking right now for the truth of your father to fall. First of all, the truth of 1 John 1, 9, that when you are faithful to confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from absolutely all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness means being something other than you were created to be. This is what the Father is saying right now. If you're holding your hand in the air, saying sometimes I blow it big, but I just wanna be who you created me to be. Right now the Father is releasing that to you. Receive it. Stop trying to fix yourself or change yourself that old dusty treadmill that you get on, trying to run fast enough to be enough, it's garbage, throw it out. Right now I speak over you that the Father delights in you and adores you and I speak shame off of you in Jesus' name. For somebody right now, you'd be saying, you know, there's no crisis in my life, but here's the problem that I've got. I just stay under this heaviness and this gloom all the time. I stay under this restlessness all the time. All the time, it's like I'm just waiting for the next thing that's going to go wrong. And I want to be like those men on the road to Emmaus. They got to walk with Jesus, and once they sensed it was him, their hearts began to burn within them with expectancy and with hope. And you're saying, man, I'm walking in a gloom. I'm walking in a funk, and I want it to go. I'm just going to ask that you would lift one hand in the air. We just want to pray with you. Father, I'm asking right now that what you've promised is this. You said the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord, not our own joy, not the joy of our circumstances, not the joy of the opinions of others, but the joy of the Lord. And so right now in Jesus' name, we release the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Father, come and take your children and cover them in your joy. each person right now just hearing my voice this Easter I just want to leave you with a blessing I would just ask if you would just hold both hands out just to receive and I just want to speak the words of your father over you this morning the father says my beloved you are my favorite I am so incredibly fond of you I'm proud of you and I see you and I know you and I want you to know that I've run in every way to make myself look ridiculous because you have my whole heart. I paint the sunrise just so you'll see it. I make the waves crash in on the ocean again, and again, and again, and again, never ending so that you'll know that my mercy has no limits for you. I adore you in all of your mess. I can't forget you. I refuse to fail you. And you will see in the land of the living that I'm good. And you're mine. And that's enough. You'll see that I'm good. Keep walking. Don't give up. You're going to see that you're mine. And you're going to see in this moment that I'm enough. So delay your joy no longer. Would you receive the joy and the hope and the love and the peace of your Father? Would you let him walk with you on the road?